You're listening to Version Control, Pounding Grain's digital news podcast. Good brand strategies are hard to come by. Not only does the brand need to have a clear vision and mission, but the path to get there needs to be explored in a lot of different ways. With traditional marketing, a good brand strategy needs to be clear, concise, and easy to articulate in a myriad of different ways. But brands can't really survive anymore with a focus on traditional marketing. We live in a world dominated by social media. If you're a brand with any sort of digital presence, you need to start thinking about a social media strategy. Social media strategies are like extensions of brand strategies. And without going too deep into the forest of buzzwords, you can think of it as a true personification of your brand. Social media channels like Instagram and LinkedIn allow brands to act like people capable of responding like human beings. But when brands treat social media strategies as if they are brand strategies, the channels become standard ad platforms, and typically, fans don't engage. But brands like Wendy's, Domino's, GE, and Lego are doing it right. And they all have very clear social media strategies. They know what they sound like on which channels and how to best use the tools. They use their channels to strengthen a brand message, articulate it to an audience they've built, and engage with fans as real people. But social media strategies are about more than voice and channel mixes. There's measurements of success, paid versus organic, crisis management, and more. Join us as we explore social media strategies. If you don't know, now you know. Gotta use my, gotta use my strategy. Gotta use my, gotta use Version Control presents Social and Brand Strategy. So, what are we talking about today? Brand strategy and social media strategy. Wow, that sounds so fun. Who's here today? Andrea Grek, (laughs) (laughs) our community manager who I... Um, hopefully said her name right for once. You did. You said it right. Yes. And of course we already heard from her, but Ivana. That's me. Atlia. You got it. Oh, wow. Two for two. (laughs) And of course our creative director, Scott Liu, whose name is very easy to pronounce, thankfully. (laughs) Hi, Nick. Yes. And Nick. Qin. Qin. Yeah. Also fairly easy to pronounce, thankfully. Yeah. So what are we talking about today, Scott? Today, we are talking about social media strategies um, and not just what goes into one and how to create one, but sort of the differences and the requirement to have a social media strategy, especially when you already have a current brand strategy and sort of like the differences and how technology has kind of forced us into an area where we need to have them now. Um, So I think just to kind of kick us off, we should probably do our little, let's ask an expert. Um, So we're going to put Andrea on the spot here. Um, oh so God. I thought he was going to ask me. I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> so, Andrea, please. Andrea, please explain to us what is a social media strategy? High level brand goals and how social media is going to help that brand reach those goals. So from a social media strategy, you would want to include um, targets as well as tactics that are going to help you reach those targets. Um, and also, uh, an evaluation process to see how your strategy is 
playing out and if anything ever needs to be optimized. Um, so that that's a high level. So, but what goes into, like, if I was to say, I need a social media strategy, like, what am I really asking for? Am I asking, like, and if I've already got something like a brand strategy, so I'm like, well, I know what I want to do on television and I know what I want to do on a billboard, um, but I don't know what I want to do in social media. Like, what would, if somebody came to you with that problem, what would be your first question or your first task and something like that? Um, I would say the demographics, like you want to know who your target demographics are, um, who you want that customer or that audience to be, um, and then evaluating the social channels um, and which ones best speak to that particular audience, um, because they're all a little bit different and they're all, um, they all have their strengths. So like Facebook, for example, that tends to skew older. So if you're looking to target somebody that's older, that would be a, a good channel to, to go with. Um, Snapchat, Snapchat tends to be very uh, much of a younger demographic. So it's these types of things that you need to evaluate when putting together your brand strategy, sorry, your social strategy. It's kind of funny you mentioned the, the channels like that too, because I think one of the really interesting things about having a social strategy is the evolution of it and knowing that it's going to change. The fact that you mentioned like Facebook is for an older demographic. If you were to do a social strategy, let's say 10 years ago, that would be a completely, that statement would be completely different than, yes. than what it is now. So I think one of the really cool things about having a social strategy is being able to understand what's coming in the future and taking advantage of it for your particular brand. Um, so have you ever kind of like worked in a, a, on a brand that needed to embrace a new channel and how they kind of like worked through that? Or is this, uh, is it more of kind of like you've worked with established brands and kind of like where we just do things on like our standard channels that we're used to? Yeah, uh, definitely. When some of the previous brands that I've managed uh, social accounts for, we launched Instagram while I was there. Um, and we had to decide why we wanted to launch our brand in that social channel, what, um, what that channel had to offer us. Um, and just because it was a, a very visual platform, um, we wanted to leverage that to show off our products. Uh, it was a retailer that I was working for at the time. So if you start to work with a new brand, do you bring their current voice into their social media channels and do you or do you create something completely new and do you create it by channel or is it mm -hmm. ubiquitous throughout? I mean, it really depends on the brand. Um, you would hope that the brand you're working for has already established their brand voice. And if they have, then you're already like step one is basically done then because um, you have to establish what that brand voice is and what's that going to be as like the overarching umbrella for how this brand sounds across the grid. So on social, in billboards, in traditional media, everything. What's different about social though is every channel like Andrew was talking about is different and has different things to offer. Um, Twitter is great for engagement. It's about like quick copy, um, talking to people, tagging people. Um, Instagram is very visual. It's more of a storytelling platform. Um, LinkedIn is a lot more corporate, buttoned up. So how does your brand voice's tone change on those channels? And um, how does it change to speak to the different targets that are on those different channels? Because you might say that we sell, you know, we sell t-shirts and our target is 18 to 35 men. Um, but that can change a little bit based on the different channels. You can get into those like micro targets and how you can target them in different ways that you uh, tweak the way your voice sounds. And also when you're um, on these different channels, you may decide to talk about certain things on one channel and certain things on another. And just depending on what that topic of content is, um, the voice just naturally 
changes somewhat, but always staying like very aligned to what that main brand voice is. Cause you don't want to sound too different, um, but just leveraging it uh, in, in a different way, like with maybe the topics that you're yeah. talking about. It's kind of like a good metaphor would be like, we're each our own person, but when you're around different people, when you're with your friends versus with your coworkers, you tweak it a little bit, how your tone is, what you're talking about, yeah. but you're still the same person at the core. Like uh, grandma television or telephone voice? Yeah. Like everyone has Oh grandma. man, everyone has a customer service voice. Yeah. yeah. Hi grandma. <laughs> <laughs> it's me, Nick. <laughs> I think the, the, the larger sort of uh, topic that we're talking about here though isn't necessarily just voice, but it's, it's content as well. And one of the cool things about the channels is that they kind of cater to different types of content per, per audience. So like you guys are saying, Instagram is very, Instagram and Pinterest are very visual, whereas LinkedIn can be a little bit more buttoned up and a little bit corporate. It doesn't necessarily just have to be how you write post copy too. It can be visually, how are you creating things? And even just kind of like the different types of original content that you're creating can be for specific channels. And I think that's something that starts to lay the groundwork for all of that in a social strategy. Um, one thing I did want to talk to you guys too about too is like, I've worked on a quite a few social strategies myself. And one thing that I noticed is really helpful from a brand standpoint is if the people who are helping to develop what that social strategy is from a brand standpoint, really use the channels themselves. Um, so it's not so much as they're going and reading articles about Instagram and, and trying to figure out how to get the best out of it. They're physically doing it themselves. I just, I, I'll never be able to um, have a better example on like how to learn how to use something rather than just actually using it. Um, because I think like even just in terms of like listening to us talk about it, you're only going to get so much information. You physically have to download it on your phone, open it up and try it. If we sat here and tried to explain to you what Snapchat is, it's going to, it, it's really not going to add any value other than the fact that you should really go and download it and kind of play with it yourself. And I just add to that point, what it also allows you to do once you're actually using the channels is see how others are using it. Um, Cause that will really help influence the type of content that you create. Um, and like you mentioned, content is a very key part of uh, a social strategy. Um, and I think that content, uh, like I've said in the past, content is king and it's really going to determine whether or not somebody chooses to follow you on a particular social account. And if the content is not something that they are finding engaging that they're gonna want to see, they're gonna unfollow you. And another reason why it's so important to be using those channels is so that you can keep up to date with what's going on in terms of trends and how people are naturally shifting the way channels are being used. Like um, we talked about how Facebook has obviously gone through a shift in, in how it's how it's used. And if I mean, yeah, you could read articles, but if you're actually using it and are part of the ecosystem, you can start to pick up on new things and be like, oh, this is a new feature on Instagram that I've discovered or saw someone use. Let's try to implement it into our social strategy. And, and that lends itself to the whole part that is so essential to any social strategy is that it's not a rule book. It should just be like a guideline and it should be a flexible, adaptable thing that um, everyone is looking to constantly improve and change with the times i think your content uh comes across as more authentic when it's yeah when absolutely you do it that way like if you've got this really tight social strategy yeah. how do you deploy it and what we're talking about in a roundabout way is like what's that relationship between um a social strategy and a community manager For, as a community manager what i do is i'm ideating uh social media content so what does that content look like uh, what's the reason why we're posting this? Uh, how does that content work within the strategy and if it's going to help us reach our goals? Um, 
from there, you're writing post copy to go along with that piece of content, and that has to be aligned, aligned to the brand voice. Uh, but then once that content goes live, you hope, you're hoping that people will engage with it. Oftentimes it can spark conversations, it can spark questions. Um, and the community manager is also responsible for engaging with that audience, responding to their questions. And really you want them to be able to uh, answer questions that highlight certain things that will actually help you um, attain your goals. So for example, if you're a retailer and you're posting about, let's say a new item that's coming up, um, and somebody has a question, you may want to have that community manager be able to like upsell and be able to like um, offer uh, another product that goes, al goes along well with it, depending on um, what, what your options are and what, sorry, not what your options are, but what your goals are. Um, also from like a customer service perspective, um, what does that sound like? Does, uh, do they end off with happy shopping or is that completely off brand? Mm -hmm. So you, you want to be, use it as a tool to service your customers. You want to use it as a tool to, uh, give them information. Um, uh, but then you also want to be able to, um, uh, use it as a tool that's actually communicating and adding value to your customers right so creating uh like a back and forth dialogue and i think sure. that's the like that's the big thing that brands are finally kind of coming around to and in, in treating social media not as just another advertising method um it's probably the only one on a global scale where you can have an open public dialogue with your customer or with you know with your fan or however you want to position them um, the big thing with that too is and what you were kind of touching on is community management and sort of like working in social media is a full-time job and what we've found in working with a lot of brands and their social strategies is that a lot of the times when they come to us uh, you know clients are talking a little bit about like well can't I what can I do because I just I have like somebody who has like 20 minutes each day to kind of jump in and do some social media and jump out. And that to us is always a red flag. Things like terms like, can't you just do some social media <laughs> is always like, yeah, everybody's kind of like nodding their head here. Um, but I think that's a big learning curve, especially for, for uh, brands that have been kind of really thriving in the older traditional systems, because you could do that. You could just kind of treat it as, you know, it's just something that we do in our spare time. But if you want to do it right and you want to actually take advantage of it when there's a massive potential in, in sort of social media strategy and, and advertising and, and storytelling in that capacity, it's a full-time job. You can't be doing it off the side of your desk. You really have to devote not only just the time and the effort, but also the headspace because you have to think about your brand not necessarily as this is what we are and and this is what we do and more as here is who we are and here's how we interact with you which is a completely different mindset if you think about it if i'm going to sell you a can of a can of soda pop i can't believe i said soda, soda pop, pop. <laughs> gumballs yes yeah, gumballs bottle rockets um but if it's if, if i'm trying to sell you a product like that before it was just kind of like here's what it looks like in the billboard here's a really cool 30 second tv commercial with a famous person that says buy this soda pop um <laughs> i'm just going to continue to say that so nick can they can spit more tea. tea yeah um but now it's about having that open dialogue. It's like, hey, who wants to talk about Soda Pop? And what do we have to say about it? And what are the cool little stories that we can all connect around? And it's a very different way of talking about your brand. So when we're talking about social, social strategies, it's less about this is what we are and this is what we sell. And it's more about this is who we are and how we interact, which is kind of a, it's a weird way to think about things. 
Um, the next thing I wanted to kind of ask you guys too is like, just in terms of because it does have that sort of two-way conversation and that ability to have those interactions with different people. I mean, there's good portions of it, like with the aforementioned soda pop example. Um, but there's also really tough situations because you're leaving yourself open. Um, and I, th I think we can all, you know, come up with a few examples of how certain fans have interacted with brands on places like Twitter where it could potentially be really volatile or negative to a point. Um, a really key component of a social media strategy is kind of coming up with what's referred to as crisis management and kind of figuring out what are the methods and the different ways that you can kind of get around these conversations or refer them to the right people. I'm just kind of wanted to talk to you guys a little bit about that. Like, have you ever run into a situation where, you know, where you have to do that or what's some of the protocols that you've gone through? Um, I think that, uh, definitely like in, in the past, um, I actually was working for a brand where, um, I was the sole person managing those social accounts and that would include, um, doing customer care, uh, on Facebook. So I would actually take the, the question and I would email somebody in, at the call center, ask them for, ask them what the information was. They would look up the account. They would give me the information. And I would like craft that into like a marketing approved response. Um, and then just as social media kind of continued to grow and grow and grow, I needed to focus my efforts on creating content as opposed to the customer service side. So I was part of, um, getting our call center up and running to actually take in and, uh, respond to Facebook comments and questions and inquiries about orders. Um, and so really it becomes uh, a process and there's a lot of tools out there that, um, that companies can use, um, to help pull in some of their comments and just keep track of uh, things that have been responded to and what ha what hasn't been. Um, and it really does come down to a process. Um, what's that escalation process look like? Who do they reach out to within the company um, to get answers? Are those individuals going to be available to respond and provide information or are they going to be tied up in meetings? Um, because you also want to think about how long it's going to take you to reply. And those are things that call centers are measured on from a, a community management or customer service, um, relations, uh, on social media. So these are things that all need to be, um, taken into consideration. And it really, really is a process that needs to be kind of ironed out. I think it's really smart to kind of look at it like that as well, in terms of a process and not as this is a glossary of terms or a manual on how to respond to things. Because I think one of the interesting parts about social media is you're, when you're interacting with it, you're the, you're under the assumption that you're interacting with a human being yeah. and you never want to feel like you're talking to a robot, even though in some cases you actually are. Um, but if you feel like you're being heard and you feel like you're, you're, you're providing something and you're getting an answer back that you're satisfied with, then that's a lot better than like, I have a, something I want to talk to you about. And the canned response is like, please refer to our FAQ section in our website. Like, I think we've all kind of seen that unfortunately once or twice. Totally. So it sounds like the social media scape is a pretty volatile place. Um, when you create the strategy, is it like a plug and play solution or do you have to just be quick on your feet and know when to jump in and change things as needed? Like, how does that work? I think it's definitely a bit of both. Like what we're talking about in terms of, like I said, social strategy is it has to be a flexible living thing. Um, but the key is like, and unfortunately... <laughs> It costs money to have someone to work it, but you have to have someone, at least one person who fully understands the brand and uh, like lives and breathes it and knows 
how to in any situation how they would sound so when it comes to crisis management if it's something negative that you know sometimes you don't have a rule book um when certain things arise that there are certain issues um you have to just understand what the brand is and like you've been doing it for enough a long enough time that you would know how to react and respond um but there are some things that are like a plug and play like although it should be flexible one rule that i can think of that brands should keep in mind on social media unless it's something that's like very very controversial or like racially charged or something is like never delete comments like um something so bad and i've seen people catch on to it all the time is like there being a negative comment maybe it's something as innocent as like hey i got this product and there was one less donut in my box or whatever <laughs> um and they just delete it and that's definitely not the way to go about it um because social media is always on and so you have to people are going to be looking for that reply and it's a super letdown when you don't get heard and you don't feel like you were taken seriously not replying as well like not deleting and not replying to comments that um speaks volumes and there are times when you don't want to respond but there are times when you definitely need to respond so not responding is a response in and of itself but from past experience, like there are times where you actually have to be selective um, based on what what is they're asking. Yeah, it's just like social media is just such a uh, like a living, breathing beast, and it's like Scott already mentioned how you want the human aspect to shine through, and part of that is owning your flaws. So not deleting that, creating a conversation around it, and then you know moving forward, that actually. Like, lend some authenticity to a brand uh, counterintuitively. I'm not saying like go out and make mistakes, but if you do make them, then it seems like the better move is to actually just like own up to them, own up to it and, you know, talk about it and sound like there's somebody actually on the other side. Recovery with flair. I definitely think that when it comes to social media, you need to definitely have a goal of where you want to go, but don't let that blind you either you need to be nimble and you definitely need to try new things and testing and learning is really important um, and also um, keep in mind that there's a conversation happening and that brands definitely need to join the conversation and join the conversations that fit their brand and don't just join a conversation for the sake of joining a conversation and it's not going to be authentic to your brand um, so definitely um, just be nimble. And it's, it's standard party rules, right? You see a group of people that are having a conversation. You don't just stand up in the middle of them and start nodding your head and saying, I agree. Like that's the equivalent of a brand that doesn't belong in a conversation, yeah. just popping up into, you know, the 10 year challenge or something like that mm. when they haven't been around for 10 years kind of thing. It just makes no sense. There's yeah. jumping on a trend. They're just trying to jump on the hashtag. Yeah. Which is why I think a lot of brands need a social media strategy, right? Because then that kind of sets those parameters on where it's interesting to play and where they should kind of you know take a step back and kind of see how things kind of shake out from there yeah. um one of the things i did want to kind of talk about before we kind of wrap this up is uh we talked a little bit about sort of the evolution of things like voice um but also there's this massive evolution of technology with regards to social media platforms right now i mean the example is like about five years ago everybody had like a really tight instagram strategy where it's like it's going to be this beautiful curated content for brands or or anybody um, it's all going to live on this grid and it's all going to live on this feed where everybody can kind of swipe up and down and interact with them. And then a couple years ago, um, they kind of dropped Instagram stories, which really kind of changed the game for not only brands, but for everybody who's kind of using Instagram. So I think just the the idea of being flexible within that strategy on 
not only doing different things, but experimenting with how stories work and how you can make them work for your brand. The only way you're going to be able to do that is if you have um, a strategy that's kind of uh, flexible enough to embrace all these changes. Um, so the only thing I wanted to ask you guys too is like, I know Andrew, we talked a little bit about launching on different channels, but what's it like to kind of be working on a particular channel and all of a sudden they drop this new feature. I know that like without naming too many names, like they're, we're working on a bunch of brands right now and they just, and, and Instagram just literally dropped the, um, the poll. Uh, it's not even the poll. It's, multiple choice. it's the multiple choice quiz, mm -hmm. right? So like how now we're going to come up with a whole bunch of really cool ideas on like how to utilize that. Um, I mean, I kind of look at it as very exciting, but I can, I can see it as, it's like, if you have this strategy, that's like, you cannot move from these particular pillars, then they can be a little bit stagnant. Um, so I was just kind of say like, if you want to have a really good strategy, yes, you have to have these parameters that you kind of play within, but at the same time, you have to be open and flexible because things change. And that's kind of the nature of social media. Topics change, technology changes, channels change. Um, and that's kind of the big rule. I think the, um, what, what people need to keep in mind is that we need to revisit our social strategies on a regular basis. Um, so like on a yearly basis, um, amending the strategy, uh, revising the strategy, and throughout the year doing monthly reports that um, actually evaluate the content and the posts that you're putting out. Um, I mean, you can have a strategy where you think something's going to work well with your audience, and then when you actually crunch the numbers and pull the data, you, they, people didn't actually engage as much as you thought they would. And something that didn't you didn't think was going to be a winner actually performed very well. So I think get testing and learning and getting that information and optimizing based on that is really going to help uh, influence the content and influence your, your strategy. So constantly just relooking and reevaluating what it is that you guys are putting out and what that strategy is and optimizing around that. And you bring up a huge facet of social media strategy, which we haven't even really touched on here, and that's reporting and optimization. Yes. Shout out Marguerite at Pound and Grain, who does all of our um, research and reporting and optimization for a lot of our brands. Um, we're going to force her to be on the podcast at some <laughs> point, so good luck. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a massive uh, undertaking because not only are you kind of looking at performance um, but you're also trying to figure out like, well, where is it going the best work if we keep with this or just making the calls like this isn't working. So it's, it's not one of those things where you can just be like, yeah, let's do some social media. <laughs> <laughs> so there's no end point. You sit down to create a social media strategy and you know you have KPIs, you know you have benchmarks, but there's no end ever. I think it's exciting though. It is exciting, mm -hmm. yeah. It means that you start out on a course, take a look back, see where you should course correct and get back on that track. Respect the hustle. So this article that I'm bringing to the table today is actually a little bit old, but as we've often talked about, we have an incredible deluge of content that we have to get through. So I always have a long list of stuff that I haven't hit yet. And just yesterday, I was able to finally listen to the Homecoming podcast. I wanted to listen to it before I watched the show. And... Basically, I marveled at how good it was and also uh, at the presentation of it because it's bizarre for us in 2019 to be listening to what was essentially a radio play and really love it. Um, so it was like, you know, I was thinking the whole time we had a guest on just recently who used the phrase the theater of the mind and I was thinking about how it really was the whole time because it has to add so much foley and background 
and think of interesting ways to get the characters into situations with each other. And you have to, by extension, use your imagination while you're listening to it. But of course, I was doing laundry and making food and not realizing that I was using my imagination while I was listening to it. But I was, you know, very in the story. Um, Yeah, and I was sort of marveling at how that happened in the first place because though I was using my imagination, I was subtly prompted a lot of times. Like, they would give hints through dialogue at what their surroundings looked like and what characters looked like and so on and so forth. So, yeah, I just thought it was really interesting. And then, of course, um, Homecoming did become an award-winning TV show. So I think what I'm talking about is respecting the hustle of just people who want to tell stories any way that they can and how those stories can then translate into other mediums, which is also really interesting because as I was listening to Homecoming, it did occur to me at times that the story as it stands wouldn't translate straight into a TV show. There's a lot more that would have to be added and would have to be rewritten in a lot of different ways. So yeah, I just thought it was interesting basically. And have you seen the show yet? No. Show's really good. It's it's just as good as the podcast, but they do very different things in it, like you were saying. Um, even just from like an aesthetic standpoint, I think I was talking to you before, like mm-hmm. the the camera work that's done on Homecoming, the show is to me is is very innovative. And I think they they did that because it derived from a podcast. A lot of the dialogue in in Homecoming can be seen as expositional because they're talking a lot about their surroundings, but they do it in such a natural way. Whereas in the TV show, they don't necessarily have to rely on that, but instead they're kind of, it's, it's very moody and they've just kind of taken that type of storytelling and adapted it for the screen, which is really, really cool. Also like Julia Roberts is awesome. Uh, Catherine Keener is awesome too. She was who played the voice and um, it's weird because I, I, I pictured her the entire time and she's far older than I think the character is supposed to be, which you would not know otherwise, but she sounds great and uh, is a great actor. Uh, the article that I shared that I think is going to be, will be in our show notes, it's interesting because it talked about how articles and um, documentaries are often positioned as being as translating into shows, but there's been a huge push for narrative podcasts because obviously all the characters are already developed, the scene's already there, and you have embedded listeners because uh, a lot of these podcasts already have built-in fans. So yeah, very neat stuff. That's what I'm interested in as of the last 24 hours. <laughs> That's awesome. So, Scott. Oh, me. Um, all right. This week, my Respect the Hustle is Donald Glover, a.k.a. Childish Gambino. Um, and, of course, I think we all respect him from a creative standpoint, for sure, as, a, as an independent creative, where he's got an amazing show called Atlanta. He's a great musical performer. He's just an artist through and through. Um, and he has recently teamed up with Adidas and as a bit of a shoe fan myself, I was very interested in his collaboration because a lot of, um, artists and in sort of culture like to team up with big shoe brands and they make these really flashy, expensive, exclusive shoes. And what Donald Glover did was the exact opposite. Um, he is creating a shoe with Adidas that is made to be worn and, my biggest peeve with shoe collectors is people who buy shoes and don't wear them. Um, they just have them to collect them. And I, I really respect Donald Glover for like recognizing that a nice pair of shoes needs to be worn. What makes it nice is what you do in them, not the fact that they're sitting in a box on your shelf. Um, so I just I really love like what he stands for in this particular execution. Um, I'm actually not an Adidas fan, but this is kind of changing my mind. I might go try a pair of these on. 
Um, and if you see them, we'll have, like Nick said, we'll have these links into the, into the show notes. They're made to be worn. They're not made to be pristine shoes. They're made to be out there creating. They're made to be stepped on. They're made to be treaded through. Um, so like shoes are made to be worn and for you to do stuff. And I just really respect that. So when you buy them, do they look this worn out? No, they're, they're whiter, (laughs) but, but they're, um, the whole point is that like, even when they, they almost look better when they're worn out because it's, you wore them out. I thought it was like another spin on the ripped jean thing. No, (laughs) not not totally. Um, And the other thing, cool thing that he did with this campaign is he created a series of videos where he, him and uh, producer Monique just kind of play two different characters every single time. And they're just doing things and they're doing things in the shoes, normal human being things. They're, they're not kick flipping skateboards. They're not yachting. They're just like, they're like making dinner or there's one really cool one where they're just like getting honey off of a honeycomb. Like, and they're just having normal conversations. And that's what normal people, regular people do in their sneakers, Mm -hmm. which I I totally respect. I am digging those sneaks, especially those continental eighties. I'm going to try a pair of those on for sure. Is, Is there anything that childish Cambino cannot do? It's crazy. You know, he's got me buying shoes. He couldn't save community. Okay, one thing. (laughs) (laughs) I also respect that, um, well, I don't know, but I like to think that Adidas allowed him to have a a hand in the creative. And maybe he didn't. Maybe he was just the the fancy face, but um, I like to think that Adidas was collaborative with him. Cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to go diagonal, and we're going to go to Andrea. Okay. Nike Women's uh, recent Instagram post. Um, that was featuring Anastasia. I think that's how you pronounce her name. Um, so she, in, in their Instagram post, she's, uh, wearing like a Nike sports bra, um, with the caption big mood. Um, and it's revealing an unshaven armpit. Um, and so the post got a lot of traction, like, uh, over 175,000 likes and over 6,000 comments. Um, and it was kind of, mixed in its reception um some people uh it was well received and they said that this was um a way for like nike to um kind of promote positive um body awareness um but then others were were saying that first of all it's just disgusting and others were saying that you know this is nike's way of um it's like a shallow marketing play from from nike's perspective so um, I found this kind of interesting and I wanted to kind of get everybody else's feedback on, um, their thoughts on Nike's approach. Like, do you, do you think it's a shallow marketing play in a way just to get people to, um, talk about Nike? Um, is it that same notion that any publicity is good publicity? Um, and is this like something that is can something like this actually promote female empowerment? Uh, it's obviously gained some traction, so there must be something there. But I would also say that they're a little late on the game about models having unshaven armpits. Been seeing that around for a while, especially um, European models. Doesn't seem that shocking to me. Anyone else? I don't know if it's if it's shocking, but I do respect the fact that like this is very much on brand for Nike. Yeah. Um, I, I know like the, the, the big campaign that they released, I remember during the Oscars, um, was the sort of just be crazy. Like everybody thought it was crazy 
for X, Y, and Z, this fits right in with that. And like, if I'm going to wear my stupid Scott marketing hat, this makes perfect sense for them. But even just as a fan, it's a one, it's a good photo. She's a very, uh, like influential and, but also independent human being that a lot of people can get behind. And I think that kind of matches up with the brand. Um, and just in sort of the ocean of stuff you're seeing on social media, this will stop you in your tracks and it's good. Okay, I'm just gonna throw this out there and it's not about marketing, but it is about shaved armpits. <laughs> I think in terms of feminism and shaved, shaved armpits, why hasn't anybody gone the opposite and uh, called for all men to shave their pits and then we'll just all have shaved pits? Some do. Swimmers? Yep, swimmers do it. Anybody who needs to be fast. Well, I'm calling solidarity. I don't have shaved pits all this summer. <laughs> if anybody, More power to you. Yeah. If any fans of the show want to come up and test that theory and see if I actually did it, no one will do that. No one, will. <laughs> <laughs> no one wants that. Anyways, yeah. I think ploy or not, like Scott said, it'll make you do a double take. So it's a good one. Yeah. Nice. Ivana, take us home. So um, I am part of this Facebook group called Dog Spotting Society, which is basically what it sounds like it's a facebook group for people to share things about their dogs um there's like almost 600,000 people in the group it's really big and like with people across the world um and it has this great sense of community because there's a lot of people who post um photos of their dogs quite frequently and you get to know their dogs and it's almost like you know a dog influencer a lot of them have instagrams you get to know their personalities it's a lot of fun. And so I was on it the other day and there was a post where someone said, um, they posted a photo of their dog kind of next to a photo of a painting of their dog. And they were like, guys, this is so crazy. I just randomly got mail from um, Chewy. And like, I don't know who it's from, but I'm so surprised. This is so nice. And they were like super ecstatic about it. Um, and it was of their dog. And so, so basically I started to research. I'm like, okay, first of all, what's Chewy and like, who is this dog and who sent it to them? So, um, I started to read the comments and I saw a lot of other people being like, oh my gosh, I love Chewy. That's so nice that they did that. So then I obviously Googled Chewy. Turns out that Chewy is a online pet retailer. That's like really big. It's owned by PetSmart. I think it's more popular in the States. Um, so, and this dog who like the person posted about has their own like social following. His name is <laughs> Senor Carlos. He's a really funny looking tiny fluff ball. Kind of looks like a... He looks like a hedgehog. Yeah, yes. a hedgehog or like a dust bunny. <laughs> yeah. But, um, so apparently I guess Chewy like knew that this dog had a following. Um, he has his own Facebook page. He posts a lot on, they post a lot of him on the dog spotting page. So they clearly were like, Hey, let's commission this painting of this dog. And so they didn't tell them who the artist was, but then on the painting, the artist's name, like her last name was signed there. So then people in the comments were like coming together to figure out who this artist was because they figured like, I want to like get my dog painted too. And and they ended up finding who it was. They found her name. They found her Instagram handle. And so it was just like a really interesting little journey into the power of online communities. Shout out to an upcoming episode. Stay tuned for version control. <laughs> for more version control. But uh, but yeah, it was kind of like a, a double respect the hustle. One, of the online community that is dog spotting. And then two, for the, the brand Chewy. Because like with the painting, they included a little handwritten note. And it was obviously very sentimental. Um, and very clever because they did it in not a braggy way. Like it's not like they asked to be posted on social, at least not as far as we know. 
but they knew that it would be. And so it was just a really smart way to disrupt a community that they knew their product would make sense for. Um, yeah. And so I just thought I would share. Nice. <laughs> Thanks for listening to version control, social and brand strategies. If you like what you've heard, don't forget to rate us on iTunes.